When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. This Bennett Kelly, and welcome to Cyber Law and Business Report Broadcasting live from sunny Santa Monica here in the heart of Silicon Beach. And um, thank you for joining us. Please be seated. We've got a great show for you as usual. And um, we're going to be starting off with some news updates. But after the break, we're going to come back with an old friend. Um, Jim Hedger, the host of Webcology, is going to return. And uh, he's going to give us... Uh, a Canadian and tax perspective as we talk about the very important presidential election coming up and um, where the candidates stand on tech issues. And so we'll be covering that in, in just after the break. Um, but I want to start with some news updates. And, and the first is uh, we had a great um, time last week at, at Salesforce in San Francisco. Um, they have a great venue um, for conferences with um, great um, seating and even a stadium seating section that has great um, monitors and it's easy to view. And we had the 2006 IP and the Internet Conference was held there. And um, I was I was really honored to, to host the conference. And uh, we had great turnout and great speakers. It was a great discussion um, that we had um, starting off with the um, keynote from the uh, Deputy Assistant Attorney General Richard Downing. Um, talking about um, 
He's the Deputy Secretary for Computer Crime and IP at the Justice Department, and uh, he started talking about a number of their priorities and the whole Apple um, battle over encryption. Um, that was an interesting discussion. And then um, we had a discussion. I was able to lead a discussion with Eric Goldman, who's been on the show, the uh, distinguished law professor from um, Santa Clara, and Chris Kelly, the um, former Facebook um, CPO and former Attorney General candidate. And um, we had a great discussion on Section CDA two, section 230 in kind of this age of when it's under attack and um, what limits, if any, or exceptions should there be. Um, that was a great discussion. Ian Ballin came and gave his uh, Internet law update. Um, it was great to see Ian. We had a number of people um, provide discussions at, um, at lunch with table topics, and a number of them you may you have been on this show from Heather Antoine, Francois Gilbert, Carl Cronenberger, Corrine McSherry, um, Dan Tynan, um, you, you all have been on this show before, um, had a great discussion afterwards uh, on privacy and social media takedowns, and ending with a discussion on uh, innovation, disruption, innovation, and the law with uh, um, Norman Reed, um, excuse me, with um, Dan David Simon, the uh, at, from Salesforce, and uh, Greg um, Gochner. He's the um, COO and general counsel at the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which puts on the Golden Globes. So it was a very interesting discussion, and I wanted to thank everyone who, who participated and turned out. I uh, really appreciated having you there, and um, so that was a great day, and um, it was really a lot of fun to be up there. A beautiful day in San Francisco. Um, this is their warm season, so it actually seems like you're in California and not Seattle. A um, couple of news updates, uh, many of them relating to um, past shows, and one of those updates concerns um, the Santa Monica, our current, our hometown here in Santa Monica. Um, Airbnb is um, making a constitutional challenge to their ordinance that sought to limit short-term rentals. To kind of, they were concerned that um, the limited um, rental market was being displaced by um, property owners switching to um, Airbnb. Um, basically, uh, not making property available for rent to residents, but actually trying to make a higher margin through Airbnb short-term rentals. And um, they have Airbnb has um, the city has um, the city has had one successful prosecution of a, a property owner, a rental manager in the city, um, but has overstepped really the, the reach of the law in that it is demanding that Airbnb take the listings down. Um, this is protected by um, Communications DC Act Section 230. You know, they can't be liable for the post. I mean, the individual people who are um, post making the post and renting the property in violation of the statute, yes, they are properly liable. But um, Airbnb should not be, and um, so they're making a constitutional challenge on a number of grounds. And we have a link to uh, the lawsuit on our blog, and along with our show notes, which as usual is at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Um, we had an earlier episode um, in which we had um, an extensive discussion about the, the state of Brazil on the eve of its Olympic Games. And uh, um, it's kind of interesting, despite all the, the dire warnings about 
what a disaster the Olympics might turn out to be. It actually turned out to be a fairly successful Olympics um, you know, for not only the U.S. athletes, but but more importantly, for the um, the host country. They did, they did a fairly good job. Um, but all, while this is happening, immediately after the Games, uh, they impeached um, their president, um, Dilma Rousseff, and um, and then uh, just now, the the lower house of Congress on Monday expelled the uh, lawmaker who engineered the very impeachment um, for lying about secret bank accounts in in Switzerland. So there's really a, a strange political revolution going on in uh, Brazil. It'd be interesting to watch because you know one uh, Dilma Rousseff was uh, from kind of a, the left. Um, of the spectrum, and um, the, the latest person to be expelled is from the right, and and so it doesn't seem to be a, a left or right thing, but really just a, a, the citizen, the people of Brazil, to being tired of corruption, and which have been somewhat endemic in that system, it seems. So um, keep stay tuned. It's you know Brazil is a very large economy and an important player, and you know, one of our largest trading partners. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Now. One thing we do here is we have an interest in um, cyber harassment um, because it's you know, part of what, what my practice is, um, but also because it's a problem that I believe needs a gr- greater attention. And we always like to highlight uh, positive stories in this area. And um, right in our backyard, we have a great one to tell you. And it's the story of Natalie Hampton of, of Sherman Oaks, California, which is a suburb in L.A., um, just over the hill um, in the valley. And um, she has just launched an app called Sit With Us. Um, Natalie spent much of her seventh grade sitting alone in the cafeteria because no one would sit with her, just part of the whole kind of cruel bullying culture um, of that school or you know i guess we've all have experienced just teenage dumb i guess is what you might call it and um that has been um that that's a problem that she didn't want to repeat or have other others endure as she switched to a new school so she's launched a free web application that encourages um, students to create an inclusive atmosphere to counteract this trend um, by allowing people to um, indicate that they will accept um, members at their table. So if you're someone new to a school or someone who's been bullied and you're afraid of sitting alone, you can actually use that app to find someone um, who will sit with you. And I, I heard an interesting interview with, with her on NPR, and someone said, well, why not just ask? And she said, one, you know, in the, she had been through that and she had asked and people said no. And so here you don't have to deal with the humiliation of asking and being rejected. You know right away that when you go to lunch, um, it's not something to fear. You'll have someone to sit with and, and talk with. And uh, it, it's just uh, it's, it's amazing that this is from a, a, you know, a 16-year-old um, student, and I imagine there's going to be you know, great things ahead for this woman. But uh, congratulations! It, it really is an important um, thing that she's doing, um, and I think it, it highlights sometimes how cruel we all can be in, at that age. And 
And hopefully she's making us more aware. And uh, you kind of highlight, I don't know if you saw, that there was a big story about a Florida State football player who was visiting a local school and noticed there was a kid sitting all by himself um, and who actually was autistic. And the, the football player um, actually went up to the kid and sat with him um, since no one else was, and they had a great discussion, and it got a lot of media attention. And the kid actually was eventually invited to the the first Florida State football game this year, and it just highlights how the need that sometimes you know schools are can be tough environments, and we we've all been through it, and it's it's part of a growing process. But um, this is just remembering that we we don't have to treat people the way we do at all times. And here's someone who actually you know, thought outside the box and created a solution to a problem that you know none of her her you know her grownups who were guiding her um, thought of. And so um, definitely a big big shout out to Natalie Hampton for um, being so inventive. Um, there are there's. Um, one other news update I wanted to share, and it's a, a Los Angeles one. It involves um, Stanley Scheinbaum, who uh, he was the son-in-law of Jack Warner. He married one of the um, last living uh, Warner da- daughters of you know Warner Brothers fame, and he he made it, uh, he made a fortune in his own right. But in the Los Angeles area and actually nationwide, he became a very important um, activist. He was a strong supporter of the American Civil Liberties Union, but in the seventies, you know, the, the, before the age of PACs and um, you know campaign finance laws, uh, a lot of the a lot of campaigns were funded through large donations by you know, players like Stanley, and um, you know he financed a portion of the McGovern campaign. But maybe his one of his biggest contributions to history is that he. Um, going back to the Watergate era, when um, the, the Nixon White House broke into um, the psychiatrist's office of Daniel Ellsberg, who gained fame because he's the one who released the Pentagon Papers to um, the New York Times and was being prosecuted for it. And um, I saw him speak in 2004, and at that time, Ellsberg said, I would be in jail right now. And keep in mind, the Pentagon Papers was, you know, mid-70s. I would be in jail right now were it not for Stanley Scheinbaum. That his, um, you know, he financed Ellsberg's defense and uh, allowed, and ultimately, which was the case was thrown out because of um, the White House incursion into Ellsberg's um, privacy by breaking into his, um, you know, psychiatrist's office. So uh, he's he was a major player, but he passed away um, this week, and uh, he had a very full life. Um, I got to meet him a few times, meet him a few times, and uh, um, he definitely was someone who played a, a vital role in, in promoting um, civil liberties in the United States, and uh, he will be missed. Um, the world is a better place, I think, because of all that he has done. So um, it's definitely a, a, a development um, we're sad to hear of, but you know, he lived a full life. He was 93, and um, we're all grateful for what he's done. So um, one other bit of news I wanted to share, and that is that um, we are proud to announce that the Internet Law Center 
was named one of the top t- Twitter feeds on internet law. Um, Justipedia compiled a list of the top 21 internet law feeds to follow on Twitter, and luckily we were named as part of it. So um, follow us uh, you know, in terms of Twitter feeds to follow. Um, this show is, um, the Twitter feed is, is at Cyberlaw Radio, but the law firm, um, Internet Law Center, we, we have regular tweets, you know, um, distributing the latest and what's going on in Internet Law and Policy. And you can follow us at Internet Law Cent um, because of that um, character limit. We, we can't get the full cent center. So it's Internet Law C-E-N-T. Follow us on Twitter and get the latest of what's going on. Um, I hope you'll check us out. Um, so we're going to be talking about this election after the break. And I want to give you just a little framework in that you know, Jim is going to obviously go offer a unique perspective because he does come from the north of the, the 49th parallel in as a resident of Toronto. And, and so I think it would be useful to see how others outside the country are looking at the election. But we're also going to talk about what something that we haven't really seen a lot in the media is where are the candidates on tech? And, uh, you'd be surprised to, to find out, um, what exactly, you know, their positions are and or maybe alarmed in some cases. But the um, we provided a backgrounder, and let me tell you a little bit about the backgrounder. It includes information um, from the Clinton campaign on her, her positions on tech. Um, we could not find anything similar for Trump, unfortunately. And then um, there's a couple of analysis comparing um, the Clinton campaign and the, and the Trump campaign on various tech issues. Um, ranging from you know net neutrality to STEM education to immigration, et cetera, and um, and then um, we also have this uh, a couple of um, open letters and statements um, by press, excuse me, by tech leaders on the various candidates' tech positions, including an open letter um, from the technology sector on Trump that was signed by a, a large number of very prominent people in tech um, that is extremely critical of the Trump campaign. So when we come back, we'll be walking through that, and that's all available on our uh, in our show notes at cyberlawradio.wordpress. And um, so we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll, bring back, we'll talk with Jim Hedger and go through this very important issue of the 2016 presidential election and the candidates on tech after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. I can't hear you. It's time to take your ad testing out of the Mesozoic era and into the Ezoic era. Ezoic is the world's first machine learning platform 
creating tailored ad combinations to monetize your website. Our automated ad testing not only boosts ad income, but increases page views, improves bounce rate, and will impress the user experience. Start your 30-day free trial today at ezoic.com and join thousands of publishers who are already earning 60% more with ezoic. That's ezoic.com. Ezoic, make your website smarter. Ezoic is a Google certified publishing partner. Content for your ears and everything in between. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. All right, and we're back, and uh, with us is Jim Hedger. Welcome back, Jim. Jim is the host of Webcology. So, I mean, this is our 231st show, which is just makes us a puppy compared to you. How many shows have you guys done at Webcology? We're closing in on 1,000. We're in the 970 range, but uh, I try not to keep track of that because it's uh, kind of intimidating, eh? Uh, well, definitely. It's think of how long it takes to get there. Yes, it is intimidating, and um, I should point out. So, Jim, we, we mentioned a little bit about you uh, on the show. Uh, it's the first part. Um, anything you want to let viewers know? We I told them that you're the host of Webcology, and in the show notes we explained you have a long term. Uh, been working in SEO for over fifteen years. Um, what's what's a, a short blurb on what people should know about you in tech? Well, I was one of the first uh, SEOs. I've been working the internet for over 20 years. As a matter of fact, my very first business was one of Canada's first cyber cafes. Um, More pertinent to this show, I've been involved in politics most of my adult life. I uh, was the first chair of the Metro Toronto Youth Council when I was a teenager. Oh, really? Again, been involved in municipal or federal politics in Canada. Um, ever since. Now, something I want to I want to point out: if you're involved in politics in Canada, your real obsession is American politics because America is eleven times the size of Canada, and well, you are our economy. <laughs> um, so we, we we pay uh, a lot of attention, often more attention than even Americans do to American politics. That well, that there that might be a, there might be a case for that argument, but um, so and and there is the famous saying that when America sneezes, Canada catches a cold. In in terms of what happens in our economy vis-a-vis yours, well, a, a better analogy is one that our former Prime Minister Trudeau the Elder made back in the nineteen seventies. America is an elephant. Canada is a mouse, and we share a bed. Whenever <laughs> whenever the elephant even stirs in bed. The mouse panics for its life. You know, I, I read a, I, I saw a Philippine um, proverb that when elephants dance, the grass is nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, which, which, which would seem a, a fitting way to, to launch this. So, um, well, first of all, let's just talk. Let's, uh, before we jump into the tech side, I, as a Canadian, as an outsider. Oh, this, I mean, Americans are puzzled by this election because it just it seems to be the most wacky election we, we've had in over a century. And it's, what does it look like to foreigners? 
Oh my goodness, it's a hard one to answer. It's uh, it's bizarre to foreigners watching the most essential democracy on the planet tear itself apart. But I want to rem- remind American listeners about the uh, Brexit vote in England, yes. about the rise of right-wing parties in France and in Germany, about the election Canada fought a year ago with a where one, our Conservative Party went alt-right on us, um, very much mirroring the tone and uh, policy statements of the American Republican Party. Uh, this, though, like, Mr. Trump has confounded all of us. He, it's, it's, it's phenomenal watching this. And what do you attribute that to? You know, or can you, as an outsider, get, get, put your thumb on why you think this is happening? You know, is it a failure of the media? Is it just a a phenomena of you know the alt right, as you might say, or uh, disenfranchisement? What what do you attribute it to? I think we have to go back several decades to really get what's going on today. Nineteen sixty four, for example, <laughs> perhaps. The world is really cyclical. This is this is kind of like a Goldwater moment. But in 1964, the American people cared a lot more about themselves as a collective unit rather than the way it feels today where people ca- uh, consider themselves individuals in society. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been... The Republican Party has changed since 1964. We saw the adoption of what was called the Southern Strategy uh, by first uh, uh, articulated by Mr. Goldwater, but truly exploited by Richard Nixon. Yes. And the Southern strategy calls for, well, to put it bluntly, politicking on racism. Add to that a bizarre denial of expert opinion that seems to, f- seems to be focused on the right side of the aisle, the, the, the right-wing parties, there is an anti-science and anti-education mentality right. that allows demagogues to rise and say, well, I know more than the uh, expert on vaccinations, right. or I know more than the generals do about ISIS, which is an incomprehensible statement. It is. I mean, you can trace it almost back to Nixon because – he he always referred to the silent majority. Well, the educated mass, you know, the elites may be saying this, but the silent majority is with me, which you know, to may or may or not been true to an extent. But um, just this whole notion that, regardless of what you say, the rest of us know we're right. And um, and then you saw in the Bush years, it was actually a, a, a White House aide who said to a New York Times reporter, "You see, the the problem is, is you're in the reality based world." <laughs> and which, which which was an astonishing statement to that reporter who thought, well, sh- yeah, that not that where we should be if we're talking about policy and the future of our country? But um, they decided no. Um, and, and so, yeah, there is that. There is that detachment from reality. But um, so, yeah, it, it is a, a bizarre election. And um, so – We've we come to this point where we're, we're trying to evaluate the candidates on tech. And we actually did an earlier show with uh, – we had people from Engine on. And their uh, – Engine's an interesting comp- place. They um, they try to promote startup involvement in, um, in public policy. 
and we had them on earlier in the year, and they actually put together a, a candidate scorecard of all the various candidates, including, you know, at that time during the primary. So we had, you know, a bunch to choose from and from, you know, Clinton, Sanders and and the like. And um, what stood out, um, one was, you know, Clinton actually did best uh, on the scorecard. And um, but um, Trump did by by far the worst because he was rated, given an F, um, partly because his statements that hadn't been he had no really policy on tech in their view and well, yeah I, I was gonna say to, to 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 receive a grade in school even if it's a failure you actually got to show up i'm not sure how mr trump could have gotten a grade because i've been researching i've been looking looking so hard for anything trump has said about technology policy and well, i can't find it yeah that that's what was interesting about the scorecard really um and we have um I meant to include it in here, but I don't have it. Um, we, it, it, I'll be adding it to the um, the show notes. But we we had a scorecard. They gave him an F. But there's recently there was a report done by a couple other groups. Recode did an analysis, and um, you look at them discussion on issues like STEM education. Donald Trump hasn't addressed STEM education specifically. Um, net neutrality, he does oppose. Um, patent reform, he said nothing on the topic. I mean, and, um, you know, so how do you judge a candidate who really hasn't fleshed out positions? And this, the same is coming true with another study done by um, a group. The um, It is the Information Technology Innovation Foundation. They just, excuse me, they just came out with a report um, this, this month comparing the two candidates and it says, um, you know, Trump has stated her positions on most, if not all the, excuse me, Clinton has stated most of her positions on most of the is- key issues and um, for promoting innovation, whereas Trump has been, they stay somewhat kind, they say much vaguer. And, uh, you know, they don't, um, in terms of the general philosophies toward technology and innovation policy, Clinton, um, they, they have a whole list of things. You know, she would engage government as an active partner with private industry in setting and implementing a technology and innovation agenda, whereas Trump, it says, general lack of focus or specificity regarding tech and innovation policy. To the extent there is a sector focus, is it is on traditional manufacturing, and, and which may go to the actual message that Trump has been conveying. Trump is, isn't speaking to the new economy voters. He's speaking to the people who feel they've, they've been left behind by the new economy. Well, and that, that's going to be a problem because one may or may not like globalization. One may or may not like the new economy. But it's, it's what we have. It's where yeah, we you- are now. That that was one of the problems I had with the Sanders campaign. It, it you can't repeal globalization, it, and and you know he kind of was lambasting. You know, I remember a debate in Flint where he was talking about um, NAFTA and look what it did to Flint. Well, I mean, NAFTA was went into effect in ninety four or ninety five, and you know Flint was decimated long before then, mm-hmm. and. and so, and so that's that's one of the problems. I mean, the, there are very similarities in that respect when it comes to trade on the positions taken by Sanders and Trump. If, if it, as, as a writer, if I could turn back time, I'd go back to 1959 at the rise of the beat, beat poetry, because you know, uh-huh. things were very interesting on paper then. But I can't do that. So as a poet, I have to write to the audience <laughs> of 2016. Right. 
and I can bring in elements of beat. Absolutely. People still dig that. But I'm in 2016. I got to write for today. Similarly, when I'm thinking about policy, um, the world is changing. Canada has an agreement with the EU where, where, where America does not. We are now, now that Britain is leaving the EU, we got ourselves a deal. America doesn't. What's right. America going to do about that? Is Mr. Trump going to negotiate a deal? What I'm well, trying he's... to say is he may or may not like these deals, but it's where we are politically, globally. It's what everyone else is doing. If America wants to go in a corner and play its own game, that's fine, but it will lose. It, it, it reminds me, there's an old joke. Um, there's a, a, what is it? Um, a lawyer, uh, a, an engineer, an economist are, are are stuck on that desert island, and they're you know they they find a can of food and they're trying to open it. And the lawyer is like, you know, there has to be some logical way we can, you know, use um, our ideas and, and try to get this open, but you know, can't get it open. And the engineer tries to figure out some contraption that will open it. It doesn't work. And the economist goes, "It's easy." Assume a can opener, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and you know we, we you know we can't pretend the other things in, in in this today. We you know we are living as you say in in the twenty first century, and you know these things are real. It's we can't wish them away, and so we can't go back to a time when Flint was thriving. Now, right. but what we can do is we can meet the challenges of the new economy. And set conditions for people across the country. And maybe, just maybe, people in Flint will start to thrive if the table is set for them. Government I mean, doesn't make jobs. Government makes conditions. There, There is a hope, and I know there has been an attempt to make, Detroit, for example, a startup hub, you know, partly because we have, one thing that can help startups is the ability, you know, cheap resources. And, you know, let's be clear, when you have a city that's been half raised, um, you know, thing, things are pretty cheap in, in terms of starting up in Detroit. And so there is a hope that that could eventually be a startup hub. And, you know, you know it, it's not that ludicrous, there's there's actually an article out, and we we've had this guy on the show, Jim Sandel. Um, he's with the um, to talk about the gig economy. He runs a an institute in St. Louis, which um, we we joined us to talk about the innovations going on in Chattanooga, becoming the the fastest um, internet city in the in in the country. Um, but right now, St. Louis is one of the hottest startup cities in America, you know, in the, in the greater metropolitan area. And you know, this, when you think technology in startups, you automatically think St. Louis? Well, not exactly, but it's just possible the government of Missouri is taking advantage of federal and, and programs that they outline themselves to push innovation. It's it, And that's, that's what's important, I think, that comes out in, in this discussion. If you look at you know, what Hillary Clinton is talking about, and just as Obama before him, that you know the pol- people often say that we, you know, the government that governs least governs best, but they, they fail to recognize that government has played a key role in helping innovation. A lot of the great innovations of the 20th century, you know, had some origin in with government funding. I mean, we're we're 
streaming the show live on the internet. The internet was uh, something created by DARPA, uh, in a, a government you know, program, and funded. You know, who funded research at UCLA and Stanford and elsewhere to make this real, and then they let it go and commercialized it, and and so. You know, to deny that government has a role in innovation in the internet is, you know, is like pretending you're on Mars. I mean, it's just not true. And well, I, it's, go ahead. I'd, I'd like to take it a step further than that, Bennett. Um, they we often say our greatest resource is our children. Yes, they're, they're the ones who are supposed to be paying my pension when I can't work anymore. Well, I want these kids to learn science. I want them to learn technology. I want them to learn math. STEM. I want STEM. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who has a policy on that? And um, maybe Mr. Trump has thought about this, but he hasn't stated policy on it. Ms. Clinton, that, that, on the other hand, has yes. an extremely clear policy on it. And that's 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 what that's why I highlight that right right from the start is that you know one of the issues that you know, the two candidates are being compared upon is on the question of STEM education. And and where are the candidates on STEM education? Well. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, there is not a clear position by Trump on STEM. You know, he hasn't addressed it. And, and how do you get this? You know, what does that say to the tech community when you got this far and you haven't even addressed STEM? Um, you know, this is from the Information Technology Innovation Foundation report. You know, and this summary, um, you know, talking about STEM. And um, actually, I'm sorry, I meant to, it's Recode. Um, mm-hmm. And talking about STEM, it says. Um, Trump hasn't addressed STEM education specifically. His comments about education succinctly explain, mostly focused on his plan to eliminate Common Core. Um, he has, has talked about creating more high-paying tech jobs for Americans by cracking down on corporate abuses of the H-1B visa program um, to allow allowing entry-level IT jobs to go to foreign workers and calls for raising the prevailing wage paid to such H-1B visa holders to force U.S. companies to hire American workers. Whereas, you know, Silicon Valley says, one, that that doesn't address STEM education at all, and, and two, Silicon Valley saying, you know, those visas are necessary because we, since we haven't been investing in, in STEM, we need the, that knowledge to, to bring in. Yeah, yeah. Un- unfortunately, America is not turning out the computer programmers in, in a way that it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. The people who built the net, the people who built the internet, the, the, the technology we're using today, that was American yeah. ingenuity. But it's not, it wasn't fostered. In fact, I grew up in the 1970s. I was in school in the 1970s, and it was cool to be dumb. We were the Vinnie Barbarino generation. <laughs> and um, I'm more of a boom-boom Washington myself. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was... Um, that set a template for the last 30 years. And, and, and I'd like to say that it's turning around. Americans take education very seriously now. At least half of them do. Right. Um, and American test scores are showing it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily understand Common Core either. But what I do understand is it teaches children to think flexibly about math as a language, not as something we learn by rote and tables. Um. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's essential that kids learn to broaden their skills in math. And there's a, a bigger issue going on here, actually. And um, I actually, you know, we have this whole debate going on right now about 
Hillary Clinton's um, having pneumonia, whether she's hiding some big, you know, who knows, she has bubonic plague. Everyone's speculating there must be some great illness. And it's really ridiculous. I mean, I've actually had pneumonia. And, you know, she she tried to do what a lot of, you know, we praise athletes when they, they soldier on um in in injured and and she soldiered on she thought she could do it and you know i had the same thing i did the same thing because i was misdiagnosed i didn't know i had pneumonia and you know same thing happened to me i i dehydrated and i totally collapsed i had to be carried into the health center at my college and um and so it's just ridiculous but so we're talking about that, but we're not talking about things. For example, there's a Greek saying, better a sick body than an ignorant mind. And very, <laughs> very recently, um, Ben Stein, who, you know, many know oh, from, Lord. you know, from his Ferris Bueller days, um, but he also was in the, the Ford White House. And um, he, um, we're going to take a short break in a minute, but very briefly, Ben Stein, who was in the Ford White House, you know, he said that, um, and he's also an economist. He says, I don't think Trump knows a goddamn thing about e- economics. And um, so we'll come back to that. But first, a short break. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on cranberry.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and I'm um, talking with Jim Hedger, the uh, um, legendary host of Webcology. He was approaching his nearly his thousandth um, show, which, you know, is there a Hall of Fame for this type of stuff, Jim? I'm, I'm sure there is, but I'm not sure they've heard of Cranberry. <laughs> but they will. They yeah, will. yeah, yes. There's a big qualifier there. And so when we left, uh, we were talking about Ben Stein, who's a, an economist. He actually taught at my college, American University in the 70s. I actually ran into him Christmas shopping, and I was wearing a, a, an American University sweatshirt, and he, he started chatting me up. 
But um, so yes, he said that Trump doesn't know a goddamn thing about economics. And just this month, uh, the Wall Street Journal surveyed um, surviving former members of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. There's 45 of them, and you know, evenly split between Democrat and Republican because that's how the presidencies have gone. And um, not one single one is endorsing Trump. They may be privately, but no one would come forward and say they're endorsing Trump. But you know, but to kind of paraphrase the um, paraphrase the late night um, commercials, um, you know, but wait, there's more. <laughs> the same is true in foreign affairs. Um, Nicole Wallace, who was an aide for Sarah Palin, she was kind of assigned to babysit Sarah Palin during the, the 2008 campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and she said that Palin was woefully ignorant about foreign policy. Um, she's come out and said that pales in comparison to Trump's ignorance in foreign policy. So, I mean, we have you know, we're trying to talk, evaluate this guy in tech, and he has no tech policy. You know, we're trying to evaluate an economic policy, and everyone says you know he he doesn't understand it. And then we uh-huh. have basically someone saying he's a mental midget on foreign policy. Well you, well, you see, Bennett, I'm glad you brought this up as an example specifically because I do have Trump policy that intersects foreign and tech. Really, it, for real, for real, I'm not making this up. On it. July 9th, 2015, so it's, it's a year old, but okay. out of the Washington Times, Trump said, elected president, he would get Vladimir Putin to return Edward Snowden and I quote, if I'm president, Putin says, hey, boom, you're gone. I guarantee you that, said Trump. If I were president, Putin would give him over. I would get along with Putin. I've dealt with Russia, Mr. Trump said, end quote. Uh, it, well, this, his whole um, kind of, <laughs> oh, his bromance with uh, Putin is just astounding. I got that. This is a guy, okay, another intersection of Trump and tech and foreign policy. If I remember correctly, Trump was encouraging Mr. Putin to hack into the NSA and into the yes. State Department system. Um, so not only is he like, does he not quite understand how it works? He's, um, I think that's treasonous. I'm, not, I'm a Canadian. I don't quite get these things, but I think that's treasonous. It, 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 it's, it's, let's just say it's, it's not safe ground. Um, it's it's dangerous ground to go. I mean, it's just astounding. And you know, and I think the studies have shown that like seventy percent of his factual statements are untrue. Um, but you, it, what's amazing is that he's in. I mean, granted, you know, there are certain weaknesses with Hillary Clinton, and uh, although some of it I think is because she's been around a long time, and, and I think part of it is also what I call Scotty Pippen syndrome. Sure. You know, when, when you follow Michael Jordan, you know, which, which she has in that in terms of, you know, coming after her husband and Barack Obama, uh, I think it's it, the comparison always suffers. But um, it's it's amazing that Trump has as much support as he does. Let me tell you something that really worries me. And to, 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 to outline this, I have to go back to um, hearings in, ni- in 2004 over net neutrality. Wow, that is going back. Do you remember Alaskan Senator Ted Stevens? Yes. He was was actually (laughs) in charge. The internet got a truck. That's the one. He was actually in charge of that committee. And he tried to explain how the internet works by comparing it to tubes full of little dump trucks. Yes. Now, this is where I get worried. Mr. Stevens was trying to deliver what could be a very useful metaphor on how 
TCP IP, the addressing system of the Internet works. Right. He was trying to, in his analogy, those little dump trucks would be packets. And he failed to explain how the Internet works using his analogy because somebody wrote it for him. He didn't actually understand it himself. But this was the guy who was responsible for the committee that was going to rule on whether we should have a yes, the you know, a net neutral yeah. web or a, or a uh, web that, that is dictated by the telcos. Um, yeah. My fear with Mr. Trump is no matter who he has advising him, he doesn't actually understand how the system works. And as a tech worker, I'm desperate for people in D.C. who understand how the Internet actually works. And, you know, I'll get, I, I've done lobbying in Washington on tech. And I'll say this. One, I think in the, the last decade, there was the, the danger was that tech wasn't engaging. And, um, and, I had to go up there, and we had to educate them. This is how the Internet works. And, and eventually they're like, oh, okay. And in fact, one said, oh, I get it. You guys aren't so bad, which was kind of a shocking statement. But then I realized, okay, I wasn't talking to that person a year ago. You know, so my bad, not her bad. Um, and and so I think there is a, a growing – there is a cadre of, pe- of people in, in Congress and in, you know, I know in, at least in the Obama administration you know, who get it. And yeah, it is worrisome when you think that this guy um, might be making tech policy. You know, who knows what that could be? Um, indeed. Well, we, the one thing we do know, two things, I'm sorry. One, he does not support net neutrality. Which is important. Okay. Yeah. Critical to the, function, to the functioning of the web as we know it today. And two, He's gonna shut down that internet. He's gonna get. He's gonna ask his friend Bill Gates to shut down that internet thing. Yeah. Nice so until we know what's going on, so we can isolate the ISIS terrorists. I've been trying to get an interview with Bill Gates to talk about that internet thing. I want him to take me to that room where you can turn it on and off. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in my experience, Bennett, if it's a if it's a plum interview, trust me, you're gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, <laughs> But um, <laughs> so yeah, um, which actually is a good time to plug our show next week, which will be <laughs> no, um, we do not have Bill Gates yet. Um, so any event, um, we we just have a few minutes left, Jim. Why don't you uh, plug Wakology away and, and tell us um, why um, Toronto is not going to win the American League East? Well, I'm afraid I I, I could do half of that. <laughs> Um, Webcology is a 10-year-old show that was originally on Webmaster Radio, now now on cranberry.fm. We're, uh, we, we named it Webcology really to give ourselves as much license as possible. We can talk about anything that interests us this week. My uh, co-host Dave Davies and I worked together um, about 15 years ago. We've been hosting the show together for 10 years now. And, uh, yeah, we, just, we try to take um, news from the web and... Explain it in plain English so that anybody at any any level will understand it. And since Dave and I are both search engine optimization specialists, we tend to focus a lot on Google and a lot on SEO. But again, as goes Google, so goes the web. Right. Now, is Dave still playing with the kinks? No, no. I see that. that, that Dave, that was a big mistake. He was in diapers back then, but he auditioned for them. <laughs> and um, they were... He, 
you remember the 60s, eh? Not many people do, but... No, um... I famously had tickets to a Kings concert, but um, a snowstorm prevented me from attending. So I have yet to see them, but um, I am a fan. So, well, if people want to find you on Twitter, where where should they go? Uh, At Jim Hedger. If you want to find me anywhere, I use my real name for everything. Okay. If you're going to say it, I say use your real name and stand behind it. Okay, well, if you're ever in Toronto, just tell people you know Jim Hedger. We'll see. Um, how, far, how far will that get you? <laughs> uh, that and a buck seventy-five will get you a coffee at Timmy's. There you have it. Um, Timmy Horton. All right. Um, now owned by, unfortunately, Burger King, I guess. Uh, well, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, it's a great tax dodge. There you have it. Um, so, Jim, I want to thank you. We're running out of time. Um, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you your insight on this. And everyone, you know, check out the materials. This is an important election. You know, try to be informed, um, even if one of the candidates doesn't want to be. Um, this is Bennett Kelly. Um, check us out at the Internet Law Center, internetlawcenter.net, and on the on Twitter at Internet Law Cent. Um, let us know your feedback at, on the show at, at Cyberlaw Radio on Twitter. And go Red Sox. Um, it, I know Jim disagrees with that. I'll talk to you guys later, everyone. Have a great week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.